Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all. The Atlas Chart and Accountant, the Hornsby Kareem Guide Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. Anthony the Bull Caruso here with you, and we had a great show originally lined up for you this week, but given what has just occurred within the world of rugby league, we felt this was too big an issue not to pass up on to do a whole new episode and talk about some pretty big topics connected with rugby league. It has been just announced today that the New South Wales Rugby League sanctioned competitions that are not community levels have been abandoned for the rest of the year. And this impacts the five major competitions being the knock-on effect New South Wales Cup, the Harvey Norman Women's Competition, the Jersey Flag, the Ron Massey Cup, and the Sydney Shield. Given how big the news has become with this, we have broken it up in two parts, both with their own panels that we'll be discussing each of these, each of the situations that have come out from this announcement. The first part, we're going to look through the political and community ramifications lodging from the announcement being made, and there is no one better to come and join us to discuss this than the Lord Mayor himself, Keith Sapolsky. Good evening to you. Good evening, Bull. And yeah, it was certainly a, a rather eventful day, and for some of us who um, were already having a hectic enough day at work, and then see the phone light up, and oh, all of a sudden this could get a little bit interesting. So yeah, very important that we address a major development in rugby league, hot off the presses. Absolutely, so hot off the press. It's only been going for a couple of hours, which is why I've had my hand. I've had my hand under the cold water. It's that hot. Oh wow, that 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 is hot. That that, that is hot indeed. Would you say that's Gordon Ramsay kitchen nightmares hot? Well, whatever it is, it's quite a burn. So yeah, yeah. It could quite be. Yeah, absolutely. It's it has been a couple of months to forget for the state, the fine state of New South Wales. Um, given what has happened with COVID, given what's happened to a, a lot of sport that has occurred in the area. And this announcement is just another factor to deal with in terms of New South Wales. And Keith, you'd probably agree with me in saying could have some major social ramifications going forward. Well, it's not just about whether you are in in the camp of, oh, it's just a cold, get over it, or we're all going to die, let's light our hair on fire, or like 99.99% of people somewhere in between those camps, there are major questions from an employment perspective because we're talking about professional footballers because those NRL players, they come back and play in the lower grade competitions and borders and all that sort of thing. So there is a lot to get through as far as what will come of this situation uh, that is unfolding with us at the moment, absolutely. Now, second part of the episode, we will do a proper 
wrap-up of the New South Wales Rugby League competitions. We'll be joined uh, by other panel members a little bit later on. But for now, we are going to go through the community impact and, I guess, some of the social challenges that will be experienced by Rugby League going forward. So, ladies and gentlemen, strap yourselves in. This is going to get spicy. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. Let's get straight into it, um, Keith. And what we've got is going over the announcement, as we said, New South Wales Rugby League competitions. We're talking the non-community competitions. It's over for this year. But what we're seeing at the moment is a real divergence in policy now between what is happening at a New South Wales Rugby League basis and the NRL basis, almost reflecting what happened last year. Yeah, it is a bit of a problem because you've got a situation where the vaccine rollout, we're not going to get too political here, but we do have to address the major political factors that are impacting on rugby league and community sports, sport in general. And the first one is the vaccine rollout, which has been painfully, painfully slow. You've got the problem now of the players in the NRL who are in their bubble They're sealed away from regular population or the general public, which is designed to make sure that the virus doesn't get into the bubble. The problem you've got is that these squads contain 30 players, and those 30 players all need to play regular football in order to stay match fit, in order to stay in a decent condition so that they don't get injured because of the impact of the physicality during a game. So those players that don't play each week in first grade they're going to have to go down and play knock-on effect New South Wales Cup with part-time players who aren't in a bubble because they work during the week, which means they're not in the bubble, and all of a sudden that breaches the bubble. So that's the first thing that you have to consider is how are these players going to stay match fit, particularly since we've had the lockdowns in Brisbane as well, where, okay, some of the NRL clubs, most of them actually, were going to start feeding players back into the Q Cup Now, all of a sudden, those players can't go anywhere. So the first thing we have to consider is, because of the vaccine rollout, how much of a risk is it for these players to play NRL? I'm not talking about leaving the bubble, but exposing them to injury because they are not match fit, which we see at the start of every season in the trials. There's always a couple of names that go down for the season because they're not ready for that sort of physicality. And when you consider as well, for for some of the clubs in that have that are based in New South Wales and have major bases within Western and Southwestern Sydney, this COVID outbreak almost impacts three quarters of the clubs in the New South Wales Rugby League and probably almost half the clubs in the NRL itself. It makes getting those vital local resources incredibly difficult. Well, you've got the problem of Parramatta, which is just Parramatta generally. They've got a problem. Manly is impacted because you've got the Blacktown Workers, Sea Eagles, And then you've got the Penrith Panthers, which are the Penrith Panthers, and they feed down to St. Mary's. You've got West Tigers who feed into Western Suburbs and East Campbelltown. And then you've got Canterbury feeding into Mounties, and Mounties borders on the Liverpool LGA, part of the Fairfield LGA, and you don't need me to go through exactly all the dramas that are happening there. So there are all these clubs that are impacted to a large degree. And because you've got those feeder arrangements in place, where are you going to send those players? So now that they're in the Queensland bubble, as you say, 
You have to send them elsewhere because you can't put them back into that situation. And now that the competitions have been abandoned, there is absolutely nowhere for those players to go with the New South Wales clubs. What do you do in Queensland now that they've got lockdowns that, okay, they're slowly starting to come out of them, but they're going to have to play somewhere. Otherwise, you're, you might get to finals time and you're going to have to call up a guy into a, into a prelim final or an elimination final, even a grand final. Hasn't played for 10 weeks. That's going to be a bit harsh, isn't it? That's going to be incredibly difficult. And, um, and unfortunately, the Queensland government have not entirely been helpful in terms of um, what people can and can't do within the um, the realms of what's been happening in terms of their COVID outbreak. To, in their, to their credit, at least, the fact that they're allowing crowds back this week is probably a sign that it might be starting to get a little bit easier within Brisbane. But it, as we all know, it only takes one false move and then everything gets slammed shut again. Well, the problem that Queensland's got now is how much goodwill and how much political capital has been burnt up with the NRL, and we're seeing this conversation occur quite a lot in the News Limited papers about the notion of taking the grand final to Melbourne, or if Melbourne's not able to hold it, take it to New Zealand. Because if the New Zealand government is prepared to let the Wallabies in as a major economic factor... Um, and waive the quarantine requirements because they've been in their bubble here in Australia and they're allowed to go out in New Zealand, well, why wouldn't you do the same thing for the NRL given that, okay, it's the first professional rugby league, the first NRL that New Zealand fans have seen since 2019. Remember, New Zealand Warriors were on the road for the first two rounds last season before the draw was entirely rejigged. So if you're looking at something that might be a real economic boon for New Zealand, then I can think of far worse options than the NRL Grand Final. So all of a sudden, Queensland could have burnt up that goodwill. Where do they go from there? Do they actually move the entire competition to New Zealand? I don't think they're going to do that, but you can certainly lose the masterpiece game. Okay, Sydney can't host it. Melbourne can't host it. I mean... There's no shortage of takers who are going to be in New Zealand. I don't think you're going to see it go to Perth or Adelaide, but New Zealand would certainly be a live option. I think absolutely that would be the case. What we've One of the other discussion points that has come out about it is the way that the NRL, to their credit, have been able to pivot so quickly to ensure that the competition um, keeps going. And you know, we, we could go on ad nauseum about how well Peter Volandis and his crew have been able to do that. St. Peter Volandis. St. Peter Volandis, apologies, yes. Uh, the same can't be said for the New South Wales Rugby League. Now, granted, they've got far deeper logistical challenges that come about with running what is almost amounts to a semi-professional competition, but there were discussions about opening up the New South Wales Rugby League bubbles within, say, for New South Wales Cup in regional New South Wales. But as you rightly point out, half the team is made up of professionals who are on the books of the NRL clubs, and the, half, and the other half of them are part-timers. The, the biggest problem you've got is mixing those two groups because you are not going to get NRL clubs signing up another five, six, seven, eight, nine players to NRL-level contracts, full-time contracts, even if it is below the NRL minimum wage, which I think comes in at $130,000 a year. It um, is now, yes. Yeah, you're not going to get clubs signing up those players and spending an extra million, 1.1, 1.2 on Jersey flag players as well, to put them into a bubble in the middle of absolutely nowhere, which, all due respect to regional New South Wales, that's what these first graders would look at places like Mudgee, Dubbo, Parks, 
Albury as being. It's basically, you think Canberra is considered in the middle of nowhere. Wait until you take these players to these country towns for 9, 10, 11, 12 weeks in a bubble. It's just not going to happen. And the, the finances aren't going to work. And then how are you going to accommodate the players? What are you going to feed them? Do they go out into the community? Because, well, we've seen what happened in regional New South Wales because you've got the problems on the north coast and further inland as well. There's just no possible solution for a New South Wales Rugby League bubble. And if you're going to criticise the New South Wales Rugby League for anything, and there's plenty I could criticise them for, this idea of the bubble is not it. It was never going to happen. And the fact that it didn't happen, anyone who criticises the New South Wales Rugby League for not pulling that off is a complete fool for thinking it was possible in the first place. Exactly the point. So, so where does that? Where would that have left New South Wales Rugby League in terms of options of where they go next? If the if they wanted to avoid cancelling the competition altogether, the issue you have is that by the time we even look remotely pos, remotely possible to bring some sort of competition back, we're looking at September October. The season's not going to finish by then. You're going to have summer sports then knocking on the door going, hey. We need to have access to some of these grounds, especially when you're talking about the likes of the Ron Massey Cup and the Sydney Shield and the Harvey Norman women's. It's just not feasible to discuss continuation of the New South Wales competition past October. Because, as you say, cricket in particular is going to want access to those grounds. Where would the likes of the Belrose Eagles play? Where would the North Sydney Bears play? Where would the Newtown Jets play? It's just not an option to have that going forward. The biggest challenge you're going to, you would have had was, okay, well, we'll wait until the NRL's finished, <clears throat> excuse me, and then we'll move it to just full-time rugby league venues. You're going to make semi-professional players play in November and December because the way that people in government and the mainstream media are playing up the COVID situation at the moment, it is clear for all and sundry that the only thing that's acceptable is a zero COVID strategy, which means you have to completely eradicate this thing from community transmission before you're going to return to any sort of genuine normality. You're looking at Christmas until that happens. And even then, it may never happen. So what, we're going to just abolish the New South Wales Rugby League? Because, oh, well, we can't get to zero COVID, so therefore there's going to be no sport. You have to wait until government gets its head around exactly what its long-term strategy is going to be for dealing with this. And you and I have worked with MPs before. I've worked for an MP before. I can tell you, expecting government to come up with a strategy for buying its lunch within three months is just... It's pie, in the, it's pie in the sky stuff. Well, we've seen from the, the state government today that they've almost all but given up on some sort of uh, suppression or elimination of COVID-19. It, it, it's clear to see. And with the latest case numbers today, it, it, there is no way that they're going to be able to get this back down to zero. It's gone. It's, it's run amok now. What you need to consider then is, is working with the, the government to be able to come up with a solution to be able to get those case numbers down so that yeah, you know, something can happen into the, into the future, even giving for an opportunity for competition to start on time next year. Center, central to all of this is the discussion around vaccines. Mm-hmm. We've seen, well, so far, according to the statistics that we've got, the vaccines have been quite effective, if nothing else, than preventing people from actually going into hospital. But yeah. the issue you have is going to come from a, a couple of sources. First off, you're risking players whose livelihood depends on staying fit and healthy, and the people who may have 
and some of them may be rightfully so, a r- an inherent risk that may come from having a vaccine. But then you have the requirement about whether they are in a position that they can enforce vaccination to occur amongst the players. Well, you've got two very different questions there. The first is the issue of players who may or may not, or even non-players who may or may not have underlying health concerns. There are plenty of people out there who have health conditions where if they were to go and get a vaccine, it could be as dangerous as getting the virus itself. That's because of their underlying medical conditions. That's not because of anyone lighting their hair on fire and saying AstraZeneca is the devil's spawn. This is about underlying health conditions. And then what happens if they have family members with underlying health conditions? Are they going to imperil those family members by going out and getting the vaccine? And then you get into the whole ugly realm of religious rights and individual responsibility compared with obligations to your employer and the the possibility and don't rule this out by any stretch, given what the Queensland government tried to put in place with the flu vaccine last year, and Josh Papali raised issues around this, is is it going to be lawful for the Queensland government, is it going to be lawful for the NRL, or any government for that matter, to turn around to the players and say, you know what, in order to play in this competition, you must be vaccinated. And you're having enough enough trouble trying to get that through with frontline healthcare workers. How are you going to get it through rugby league players? <laughs> Good luck with that. You're absolutely right when it comes to the ramifications around legality of enforcement of, of vaccination. Now, that's not to say that we're, we're telling people not to get it. We are encouraging everyone who is able to go and get vaccinated. That is, that is unequivocally the, the message that we want to give. But there is a challenge to come that comes about from enforcement of it. And one of the big debating points around it is whether it can be included as part of a contract of employment versus government actually stipulating that you have to get vaccinated. Now, in some workplaces, that may be a fait accompli because we know that, say, for example, within healthcare, that is about to, that is a likely to be the case that it is going to be compulsory to get a vaccination and probably fair enough in that sphere. What about in the realms of sports stars whose livelihood may or may not depend on getting that vaccine? Well, the bigger challenge you've got um, even before that is how are the clubs going to react to this within the NRL and therefore the New South Wales Rugby League? Because if you've got a condition of vaccination applying to NRL players, how's that going to impact on players who then go back to New South Wales Rugby League competitions, what if they're playing alongside unvaccinated players? Are they going to then be exposed to problems with workplace health and safety, insurance payouts, with NRL contracts? How is that going to react? How is that going to impact if there's a player who's on an NRL contract and he's then sent back to play lower grades and a player in the lower grades refuses to be vaccinated there and then all of a sudden you've got problems here, there and everywhere? And this is even before you get to issue of does the workplace have a right to enforce vaccination? So th- this is where you're going to have real problems as far as the NRL. And this isn't just a New South Wales rugby league problem. This is going to be a QRL problem as well because you're going to have players who will stand up and say, no, I don't want to get vaccinated for reason X, Y, Z, whether that's a religious reason, whether they have a family member who has an underlying health condition and they don't want to get them sick, whatever the reason is. Then you've got a bigger problem 
of how you're going to make sure that you still adhere to contract law and make sure that everything there can stand up in court if you're taken to court for unfair dismissal or refusal to honour a contract. So all of a sudden, the QRL and the New South Wales Rugby League, they have massive legal dramas in front of them if the NRL decides to acquiesce to any demands of any particular government whichever government that may be, in demanding that the players are vaccinated. Here's, here's the question that, I, that I've got, and a few people sort of raised this. They believe that you know, government enforcing it, um, it should not happen full stop, and I, and, I absolutely, and I absolutely get where they're coming from in that regard. They, they, some of them say, though, that you, you wouldn't even have, say, the NRL or New South Wales Rugby League enforcing it, but it could be done at a club level to circumvent the issue. The... the the under the statement being with that is that if the NRL clubs decide to put it in and a player doesn't like having it in there, they still have the option to potentially go to another club. Now, you might have discussions around, well, the NRL clubs would then probably collude to make sure that, that anyone who doesn't agree with vaccinations get locked out, gets locked out completely. But at least you're providing, dare say, the option that if someone objects to one club stipulation, they can go find another club to play for. Yeah, how many clubs are going to get on board with that idea, however, of taking players on who have been rejected from other clubs because they're considered a health risk? This goes even deeper than that, and now all of a sudden we're talking about all sport, not just semi-professional sport, but this is now going to filter down through the New South Wales Rugby League into junior rep competitions, and if you've got junior rep players who are all vaccinated, what about those players that just play at junior clubs? Are they going to have to be vaccinated? This is so much of a drama that we can't even comprehend what the New South Wales Rugby League is going to have to come up with in terms of a long-term strategy to be able to deal with this once everything returns to some degree of normality, which hopefully will happen before the end of the year, but realistically probably won't happen until next year. And this is something that we've noticed with sports in general is going to become a major issue, is that a lot of the biomedical requirements within sport and the regulations needed is just is very much lacking unless it's connected to a performance basis. Now, you know, let's take a couple of examples that have happened over the last couple of years. We had, I think I remember a couple of years ago, and you might remember this, Keith, was where we had the Melbourne Storm end up with, I think it was about six or seven players missing one particular game because they all legitimately ended up with a gastro bug that went through the entire squad and six of them had to be ruled out on the day because they were, you know, for one reason or another, having their their uh, internals upended. What do we need to do in order to be able to establish it? Because it's not only going to cover vaccinations, but it could cover other aspects. Like if a general bug goes through an entire squad, what do you do in that situation? Well, it then begs the question, how exactly is world sport going to address this, not just the New South Wales Rugby League? Because if you have a bug that goes through the entire squad and you're needing to eradicate that bug just to make sure that the team can compete on the weekend, whether that's gastro or COVID or something else, okay, at what point are you going to declare that, okay, this is a performance-enhancing substance? Because if you take... if you find that there is a treatment for rapid elimination or rapid um, expulsion from the body, if you like, of COVID, and that is a steroid of some description, are you going to have a SADA allowing that? Are you going to have the NRL allowing that? Is the NRL going to come into uh, conflict with a SADA? Is the NRL going to have its accreditation stripped? What's going to happen there? 
this is all going to impact so much on the NRL, and I know we're talking a lot about the NRL here, but anything, it's similar to the world economy. They always say that if the US sneezes, the world catches a cold. Well, if the NRL sneezes, then the New South Wales Rugby League gets pneumonia. That's how much the New South Wales Rugby League nowadays relies on the NRL, to a lesser extent the Queensland Rugby League, because they're a more decentralised competition and a more decentralised state than New South Wales, but it's still a major facet that they have to rely on the NRL for this sort of guidance and advice, and it's just such a murky situation that the New South Wales Rugby League finds itself in through absolutely no fault of its own, and they, they can be at fault for so many things over the years, but this is something that the New South Wales Rugby League is going to find very, very difficult to deal with. The last piece that I've then got as well is the... Big discussion point around the quiet, the, I guess, the morality of vaccination. One of the biggest challenges, and you've rightly pointed out, is the, is maybe religious or, dare we say, scientific beliefs of certain players that have been involved with it. And we saw the classic example, as you mentioned, with Joshua Papali, um, mentioning that there would be objections within certain religious groups around the concept of vaccines. And we know that quite a few players from Western Sydney in particular have very strong beliefs within Jehovah's Witnesses who have a mandate within their church that vaccinations are against the teachings of their church. So even if they gave, even if they decided to then go down the pathway of saying we need to have as many people as possible vaccinated within this, how does the NRL and New South Wales Rugby League position themselves in such a way that they can circumvent some of these morality issues that are going to be raised by, in particular with some of these players who will have objections either on a religious or maybe their own, dare we say, scientific, and I say that in inverted commas, Backgrounds. Well, I'm, I'm trying to avoid giving scientific judgments and opinions because that's not what we're here for, of and course. I'm not a scientist either. But for those who have genuine medical concerns that they may exacerbate an existing condition or their health is already under enough of a cloud without that sort of thing, uh, with without the vaccine, uh, I completely empathise and sympathise. For those people, as you say, Jehovah's Witnesses, their religious beliefs relate to foreign substances being injected into the body, not just vaccines, but they can't have blood transfusions either, which causes a problem. And it caused a problem to the extent that you also had professional athletes refusing to be drug tested on the basis that you couldn't stick a needle in their arm, which is how you came about with urine testing. It wasn't about the greater efficacy of urine testing. It was about the fact that they were able to do that without breaching certain athletic beliefs. But if anybody goes out there, quotes science and says that, you know, 5G is going to be installed in your brain if you get the vaccine, well, okay, yeah, just keep... Go, go back and have another schooner sort of thing. The, the problem, as, as you say, is with largely Western Sydney-based players who are members of, I wouldn't call them fundamental Christians by any stretch, but certainly more doctrinaire Christian groups than might otherwise be prevalent. And when you've got such strict adherence to scripture, all of a sudden, if you've got a professional sporting organisation infringing on your religious beliefs, just imagine the holy hell that is going to be raised, pardon the pun, if they're going to infringe on their most basic tenets, given the drama we've already seen with a certain former wallaby, former kangaroo, former AFL player who 
claimed that he was simply exercising his freedom of speech and freedom of religion to voice his thoughts on a certain passage of the Bible. And this is going to be a challenge that they're going to have to come across and deal with over the next couple of um, over the next couple of months as they try to work out how they're going to get themselves set up for next year. In your opinion, and this is only your opinion, not necessarily the views of this radio station, where do you think the balance needs to be struck? Uh, if I knew that, then I, da- I doubt that I'd still be a radio host elsewhere, but uh, I think I'd be pulling in much better money than what I am as a radio host too, just quietly if I knew the answer to that question. The problem that the NRL is going to have is trying to figure out how much of a balance can be struck in order to keep everybody happy. And I'm not just talking about players, I'm talking about governments as well as religious organisations, as well as religious players, as well as families, as well as workplace law. Because we're not going to see a change to workplace law just to accommodate the NRL. And this is a wider problem that sport is going to have. I think you could be seeing over the next five or six years a complete shift in exactly what it means to play community sport, semi-professional sport or professional sport throughout this country until governments actually get on board with the idea of living with COVID, which they, they talk a big game about, and they say, oh, no, we're not, we're not pursuing a zero COVID strategy. Well, that's what your press release says. So, you know, let, let's, let's start calling a spade a spade so that we can get on with figuring out a strategy here. Keith, always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we'll let you get back to it, but obviously this is going to be a hot-button topic over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely it will, and uh, there's more than enough interest to keep things going uh, in the media world, trying to figure out exactly what comes next here. Absolutely. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll go a full wind-up of all the competitions that have now closed within New South Wales Rugby League. You are listening to Splinters, the Bench Podcast, on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. We'll be right back. Bowling is back in Hornsby. The Attic offers a 10-pin bowling experience like no other, with Australia's first ever augmented reality scoring experience that will take your game to a whole new level. With a selection of traditional and custom-built arcade games, the Attic Entertainment Precinct is complete with a bar and lounge area to keep you entertained for hours. Specialising in kids' parties and celebrations, the Attic at Hornsby RSL Club is perfect for your next special event. Whether it be an afternoon out with the kids or a night out with friends, it will be an unforgettable occasion that will bowl you and your guests over. Visit our website, theattichornsby.com.au, for more information. The Attic, proud sponsors of Triple H. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Welcome 
Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Coringai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony the Bull Caruso back with you. Yes, a very special edition of Splinters given everything that has happened today with the announcement from New South Wales Rugby League that the competitions would be wrapping up early for 2021 due to COVID. We thought we'd bring everything forward. You've just listened to part one with regards to the implications of policy and the decisions. We did that discussion with Keith Topolsky. The second half will be dedicated to going through the results in each of those competitions and when some of these clubs look to stand moving forward into 2022. With that in mind, we are going to bring in two callers who have been following this competition quite closely and have been involved in a number of calls throughout the uh, throughout the season. First off, he is the wise man himself, Matt Mears. Good evening to you. Oh, good evening, Chris. So good evening, all. It's good to be back on Splinters. It's been a while. It has been. It's going to be a big um, month coming up for you and I very soon because, of course, as a quick preview and a bit of a sneak peek for September, we're going to have cricket wall-to-wall for a month. As I said, it can only get better for splinters when cricket's involved. we just got to hope that we can actually get on the field. That is absolutely the hope that we need. Joining us tonight, the spicy chorizo. We've seen plenty of him, and we can't get enough of him, so we have to bring him back on. Dom Rizzuto, good evening to you. Good evening, Caruso. Good evening, Mizzy. Good to be here. What a what a sad time it is uh, to be here talking uh, local rugby league. It uh, holds a special place in all of our hearts here on, on Triple H and, and on Splinters. Um, I tell you what, you know, it was, I'm not surprised, but disappointed regardless. And uh, hopefully we can give it a, a good uh, a booster uh, that it needs or a good send-off for, for 2021 so that uh, those who love their rugby league in all forms, not just at the NRL level, um, can look forward to uh, what will hopefully be a fantastic 2022. Yeah, absolutely. We've got plenty to talk about because, of course, we've got five competitions that we need to cover as part of this. So let's get straight into it. Let's talk to the feature competition itself, the knock-on effect New South Wales Cup. And at the time of the competition wrapping to a close due to COVID, we had Penrith really running away with the competition. And Matt Mears, you know, there was this massive talk for ages of Phil Gould's five-year plan. It's taken them eight years but they finally done it, and geez, don't Penrith look strong right through the competitions? Well, of course they do, and that's, that that comes down to, yes, the quote-unquote five-year plan that, that probably took maybe a year or two or maybe three, a bit longer, but it's come to fruition. As I said, when you've got that nursery like they do in Penrith and, and can just bring those juniors through and um, success breeds success. So you, you see the success in the NRL team, that, that spills its way down into the New South Wales Cup team and it spills its way down to St Mary's where the, the where they feed from into those two teams and uh as I said they are the envy of the league at the moment. They can be at the top of the NRL the top of the, and be at the top of the New South Wales rugby league as well. It's it does make it a place that as a player you want to go to. And and Dom, they they won the this competition by sub margin as well over the likes of Parramatta, the Western Suburbs and the North Sydney Bears. Yeah, head and shoulders above everyone else this year. Penrith in uh, the 
New South Wales Cup, or I should say the Intrust Super Premiership. Or the um, knock-on effect, knock knock effect, knock effect Cup. the knock-on effect Cup, but yeah. Or, no, I, I was getting there. I was just going, rolling through <laughs> the amount of names that we've had changed. Oh, the Canterbury Cup? Canterbury uh, Cup, that's the next one. So um, Jim ben, Oh, no, Jim Beam Cup was something different, wasn't it? So yeah. we've, got, we've got a bunch of names for it, but in the reserve grade, the Panthers have been very strong. And to think that, you know, there's probably some, you know, they could probably pull some of those players out and then put some of those NRL quality players in there as well whenever they like. It's been, uh, as you mentioned, a, a good place to be for a player and for a fan uh, over the last couple of years at the foot of the mountains. And, uh, you know, the way they've set themselves up, they obviously going to be primed for success for the future moving forward, as all organisations should be run. I think that this is where I often feel that the salary cap, I feel I can, will never allow, the, a business will never grow whilst the salary, an, an organisation and a sport will never grow whilst the salary cap's in place. I think the Panthers are doing the right things by making sure that their back office and their, and their grassroots are in place so that they can continuously have a uh, success at the top. So well done to them. I'm sure that they'll be eyeing off an NRL Premiership again this year. Well, not again, their first one in quite some time this year, a final uh, again for sure. And it'll be, you know, off the the work and the pressure that has been done by the reserve grade side that's pushing those players to make sure that they perform every week and are in the NRL jersey each uh, and every week. Let's go through the um, the rest of the, the competition because there are, of course, a couple of notable discussion points to come from this. Of course, Newcastle finishing in fifth place on 25 points, just ahead of the Newtown Jets, and two teams that warrant particular mention given changes and allegiances that have occurred in, uh, um, over the off-season, Matt Mears. We are, of course, talking about Mounties and the Canberra Raiders. Mounties changing from um, having their allegiance with uh, the Canberra Raiders, Canberra deciding to go it alone, which... Uh, in this day and age, it's a bit uh, a questionable decision. Obviously, you see the the pros and the cons for both. Obviously, if you're a if you like the Seagulls with the Black Town, or you like the Bulldogs now with Mounties, obviously a lot of cost saving with being able to send your reserve players and your your top thirty guys that aren't getting a crack at first grade down to these teams to be able to get some much needed match practice. Um, but also uh, the Raiders now uh, going it alone, they're able to run the club as they wish and, and essentially make them the, the Raiders light and um, run the same plays. So when the players come back up into first grade, they're ready and ready to go. They they know the set pieces. They know how the team drills. So it is interesting to see those, um, those allegiances change from time to time. Obviously, Norse being another one. It, they they were formerly with South and then a couple of years ago changed to the Roosters. It happens from time to time, but um, as I said, with Mounties, obviously they, they're looking to have that um, top allegiance to an NRL club to make sure they have the cattle to ensure that um, they can compete in this New South Wales Cup. And I think with six, particularly when... You're talking about a club that was uh, aligned to the team that's stone dead last in the NRL and talking about a lot of their top 17 shouldn't be playing NRL. To be in sixth and um, in with a really, in with a shout of, of making some headlines come finals time, I think they were pretty much punching uh, above their weight with, with some of the cattle they had compared to, say, the Bears that finished fourth, having some of those bigger Roosters top 30 players uh, being available every week. No surprise, Dom, about the Georgia Lawara reflect, uh, finishing in ninth place, reflecting sort of where the, um, the first grade team is going. Uh, but two teams that I think under massively underachieving relative to their NRL, the former their NRL compatriots, 
are the Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles and the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Well, you will know this too well, Caruso, that the Manly Seagulls um, slash Tom Trebojevic team <laughs> are only as good as their number one. So as soon as he leaves the field, there's an incredible lack of depth to fill his position, same when they lose a halfback, same when they lose a dummy half. You know, they've got some stocks up front, but, you know, Seagulls have been devoid of depth for quite some time, really, uh, and it's something that I know the club is probably thinking about and, and building towards, but it, obviously their best 17 is in that NRL squad, and if you lose one from that best 17, it, it's a dramatic drop in quality. South Sydney are the same. They're losing players, and their salary cap is shot to piece. You only have to look at the, dis- the departures, I should say, from their first-grade squad that's going this year, and the likes of Jaden Sewer, Adam Reynolds, Dan Gagai, the most recent one, all signing contracts to go play elsewhere. They've got salary cap troubles. And I think George Burgess see. is going now as well, if I heard Well, George correctly. Burgess was in that South. Uh, he, was, he, he left oh. a couple of years ago. He's um, going over to the Dragons, but he's wasn't a part of this South Sydney squad that's leaving. I'm, I'm sure that there's other players who are, you know, probably going too. I think that they're, you know, they're they're, they're banking on their juniors to come through and, and do a job for them. I think that they've got some high quality coming through, but that reserve grade squad, yeah, it, it, it it's devoid of some 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 quality at the moment, and I don't see it sort of improving over the next season at all. Uh, there at the moment, they've got some cap issues south. You can clearly tell, and they need to they need to fix it. So I think that's reflecting in their reserve grade side because uh, they've dropped drastically from where they were a couple of seasons ago when they first re-entered the comp with the reserve grade squad. And I think that you know they're going to need to find something. <laughs> Sign some uh, some results soon uh, if they want to keep justifying themselves in the in this particular competition and or, or see or why they even wanted to be in it in the first place after they ditched the North Sydney Bears uh, in 2019. Going through some of the stats in terms of the players in the competition, I'm very excited in terms of what the prospects are looking for the Western Suburbs Magpies in particular with the likes of Jock Madden who topped the points tally and Kaya Cooper who topped. Equal top the tries alongside Bronson Garlic and Alan Fitzgibbon. Both players coming through and looking very dangerous in their, in their mind. Um, one other name I want to bring up as well, Matt Mears, is a guy we've seen come up through the ranks of New South Wales Rugby League and could be a smoky to play NRL in the near future is Kurt Falls, who topped the goal-scoring charts this year. Well, as said, another one of those Panthers that uh, are coming through um, like a Raider Knots, and uh, had he, if he was at most of the other clubs, particularly with what we're seeing now with um, the, the COVID bubbles and the, the, the amount of injuries and people having to leave, he probably would be getting a, a first-grade uh, jersey somewhere down the line. But just with the, the stacked roster that the Panthers currently have at the moment, and they seem to be able to be able to just bring the next guy up, uh, unfortunately, there's just on the spot for him now, but he's certainly putting the pressure on um, for 2022 to make sure he's a major part of that top 30 squad. And the other the other one to mention, which is an interesting one, Dom, Jordan Rankin, who, of course, we know for ages was jumping in and out of the West Tigers uh, lineup, finding a base at the Eels and getting amongst the points there. Do you think he's going to finally make his crack into first grade permanently, or do you think he's going to be stuck as a permanent fringe player? Uh, I liked Jordan Rankin. He was a solid player, uh, and I think maybe a little bit unlucky that uh, he was at the West Tigers during the time, but they had their their big four 
and couldn't really cement a spot. I think, unfortunately for him, he's going to have to produce some week-in and week-out performances if he's going to find himself in an NRL squad um, anytime soon. And I don't think he's the youngest of the of of the roster no. these days. So maybe he might get a couple of calls up. I mean, I tell you what, the Eels could do with a with a winger who could actually score a few tries at the moment. So and defend them as well. So I tell you, there's always a shout. Especially when you know the Eels keep running with Wacker Blake in the def- in in their side, who can't defend anything. You know, couldn't defend paper. So I I tell you what, there's a chance, but never say never. But I I would I would doubt it considering it's always, his age. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Dom to Daniel, but it's always hard when you're those sort of players, and and particularly when you're in sort of point scoring positions, is that the teams change every week. It's not like NRL where you try and get some consistency in your spine or anything like that. Dead set, due to what's happening, God knows where or whether there's a outbreak and people have got to and, and, and have got to isolate or something like that. You, 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 the people around you change week on week, so it's hard to get that week on week on week form to really knock down that door when you can't build those relationships and build up those um, plays, etc. Um, when you're having to do it with someone different every week. The other one that comes to mind, someone who is who could be quite handy, is from the Parramatta Eels, Eliel Zakim, who topped the tackles this year with 432. There's some solid raps on this on this kid and talks about him possibly breaking into the Parramatta lineup. Given the upheaval that could be happening and the the likelihood we're going to see more players come up, in particular Makahesi Makatoa, you know, could we see Parramatta maybe um, starting to strengthen up in terms of their depth and look to put some of their first-grade players under pressure, especially if they decide, as the rumours are starting to float around, that Brad Arthur's tr- position could actually be in trouble? Well, it, it, it's one of those ones with Parramatta is that just with how their salary crap is structured, they, they need those sort of mid-to-lower-paid to guys in the scale of the salary cap, and they need... Some of them performing. You, you mentioned one or two there, the four Caruso that have been sort of playing overs to what they're getting paid. Now it, now it comes to the time and we're, we're hearing about it in the media at the moment. There's people putting out their hands. You can talk about Gutherson all day. There's no way he's getting a million dollars a year, but there's the, the other players that there that, that may be on that minimum wage or 120 or 150, they'll be looking to sort of double that and, and be in the 300,000s of where they're playing at the moment. And Parramatta's been always one of those sides. They, they try and get some of those quote-unquote cheapy forwards that are in there that they're not paying a lot, but they play above what they're being paid. So certainly if um, they can't meet some of the demands of the players that are in there currently, He's a, he's a shoeing. He's there. He's under the coach's noses as it currently stands. And, uh, he could be looking good for a contract uh, and part of being part of that top 30 in, uh, 2022. Let's move through the rest of the competitions. And Don, we're going to move over to the Jersey Fleet because I know this is one you're going to be particularly crowing about. The under 20s <laughs> won by the West Tigers, squeezing home by a win over St. George Illawarra. There's at least something's going right for the for West Tigers at the moment. It's their under twenties. <laughs> yeah, incredibly. I mean, uh, they drew, drew. I mean, in, they drew an incredible nine times, which uh, was, I think, it's. I mean, there was a lot of draws in the Jersey flag this year. The newly appointed Thunderbolts drew eleven times uh, during the course of the season, which is. I think you'll find there'll be a. Few of those games will be ones that were like called off for COVID and stuff like possibly, that. Possibly, well. yeah, very yeah, true. Quite possibly. And 
the West Tigers, you know, went through the season undefeated. Um, quite incredibly, really, because when you think about uh, the way that the NRL team is going at the moment, you would think that perhaps maybe give some of these young guys a run. But I think they've probably done the smart thing and kept the the team, I suppose, in place. And as you can see, a lot of these games, as you mentioned, pretty much from June, have been have been draws uh, between um, between all the sides. So uh, again, really good to see that the that the club has got a, a fresh bunch of, of youngsters coming through who may push into the into the side, and the, and this and that the club is setting up uh, for the long term. And you know, I think it's probably the first time the Tigers have seen, or the West Tigers, I should say, have seen themselves on the top of any ladder. <laughs> quite some well, time. just hope that. You just hope that Tim Sheens will actually get to keep them and they don't go out the door like Addo Carr and Tedesco and Moses and I can keep rattling them off if yeah, you want me Tim, to. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> we haven't got the show time for it. <laughs> we, we've seen, once again, you know, the success of Penrith in the competition. The two that have really surprised me in this competition, Mizzy, was St. George Illawarra and Canterbury Bankstown. I guess belies the state of their competition, but it is showing that some of these clubs are getting their juniors bang on. Well, so with the Jersey flag, it is a lot of playing where you live. And I, for me, it's not a surprise when you see the top four being Tigers, Dragons, Panthers, Bulldogs. They, that's your prime quote-unquote breeding ground. That's where you're going to be finding your most junior players. That's where you're going to be finding where they're going to be playing in their bigger numbers at that age. And when you look at the bottom, you look at the Seagulls, you look at the Roosters being down the bottom of that ladder, and the Thunderbolts, well, they're not even in Sydney, but they're not, they don't have that junior strength. They don't have um, a lot of players that are that are in that local area and that they're, they're Probably going to have to have a shot at the next best um, from those from those breeding grounds to come in. So, I think if you found that that um, the Roosters or someone like that were up the top of the table, if, if I was one of those four clubs um, from out west, I would be scratching my head to go well. What are they doing that we're not? We've got the player pool here. We need to be using it. Let's move on to the Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership, a competition that means we, we are proud to say that we have started calling a fair bit and could be doing more of over the next couple of years. Well, Go on. well I'm just to say, we've, we've, we've done some great stuff in women. Obviously, Dom sort of stepped in as our, our main caller. We've had Mary from Ladies Who League joining us on commentary. We got to cover the uh, the, the Women's City Country game from Bank West with Kiwi Mick at the helm. I said that's probably one of our most favourite calls of the year. We were looking at doing more, like we were looking at calling the grant, the Harvey Mormons Women's Grand Final before it was called off for COVID. So if that's what we're sort of planning and we're only in the, the infancy stage of our covering of Women's League, can you imagine what we'll be doing in a couple of years' time? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, looking forward to really covering that. And by the way, we should mention as well that Mary Kay will be making a return and making her debut on Splinters later on as we preview NRL women's for their season and we'll she'll be joined likely by Pierre Pritchard from the North Sydney Bears. So looking forward to having that one there. But let's get into this competition as it stood when COVID shut the competition down. The Central Coast Roosters winning the competition um, over Mounties and Cronulla Sutherland, but the, those three teams really did run away with it, didn't they, Mizzy? Well, they certainly did, and, and as I said, from, from our calling or, or watching the games before uh, the the Bears uh, men's games that we called on Triple H, um, you could see that um, they had a, a, maybe just a little bit of a heads up 
the Hellensburg Tigers in fourth as well. You can see a lot of the uh, a lot of the representative players were sort of spread between those few sides. So when you when you have that quality um, in your ranks in a competition where it's not fair to call it the NRLW reserve grade because it's not, but it is a, a secondary tier to the NRLW. So you do have a vast um, spread of, of player talent throughout the competition. And this is another one where I'm excited that hopefully we get to do more and more with this on Triple H because as, as you see the women's game grow, you see the, the, the quality of these games um, just growing with that as well. So as I said, this will be one to watch in the next couple of years because as well as the opportunity to see some of your big stars play, you also get to see the stars of tomorrow as well. There's an interesting point there, Dom. With the growth of the of women's rugby league, what chance do you do you think there is of continual expansion of the NRLW to incorporate some of these clubs that may not currently be represented within the NRLW competition, knowing as well that there is pressure on other clubs currently unrepresented to put a team in? Oh, I, there isn't, there isn't, I, I tell you what, Crusoe, I, I've spoken strongly about this many times. There isn't pressure on clubs to put teams in. There's pressure on the NRL to allow teams to be put in. The fact that teams like the South Sydney Rabbitohs and the Cronulla Sharks don't have teams in the NRL is an absolute farce. Now, from what I understand, I've heard different, like when I was there when South Sydney Rabbitohs were one of the big two that had women's teams and they were advocating for women's teams to be in the competition and they gave it to the Sydney Roosters instead was was simply astounding uh, considering that they had done nothing in the women's game but purely their brand and their logo seemed more important to the NRL than South Sydney's did they did the same with Cronulla this time around when they put the dra- when they brought the dragons in instead which was which is simply crazy i think teams like those two teams are desperate to get their sides in um, especially that one from, from down in down in Cronulla, who were the first team to uh, have a women's team uh, together. You think about Helensburg Tigers and all those different sides as well that have that are very very strong in the women's division. They need to um, expand it, I think, next year definitely. Um, I think the the problem is is that the, the the quality just isn't there yet. There isn't the depth of talent, I think, for to go to six teams just yet. They're still probably a few years away, in my personal opinion. They did go to six teams this year, Dom, with um, the introduction of the Titans and the Eels. So you're seeing that they're they're quote-unquote trying to represent as many areas as possible. But I'm not sure with the Titans, obviously, up at... um, We're not part of the the Queensland uh, competitions. I don't know what strength they have, but the Eels... How are they in front of some of these clubs in getting a No side? idea. Uh, no idea. I suppose because they're the brand of the West of, Sid- West of Sydney. So that's probably well, the why... West Tigers. They're, West they're Tigers, more, I know. They've more and more been a part of this uh, Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership and they cover the inner West and out in South the like, I don't interesting. I don't understand it. I think there's also an element to it. I remember I talked to a couple of people during my times. Obviously, when I was at South's, there was an argument around how we weren't allowed to. But when I spoke to one of my good contacts at the NRL, who I'd worked with at Manly, I won't, I won't do any name dropping, he said that actually at the time, the CEO of South Sydney, Blake Solly, didn't want to have to pay them the, the player wage. He said that it wasn't going to be uh, a professional competition and they, they weren't willing to kind of 
pay the players. So whether there's any truth to that or not, I'm not too sure. So there may be that element to it as well where sides like West Tigers, South Sydney that aren't sort of supported by big sort of outside backing. I know South obviously have Russell Crowe. And South and West Tigers have their leagues club, but it doesn't. It compares small in comparison to the funding that Parramatta get, really, and the operations that they run, and the money and millions that kind of go into them. Similar to the Bulldogs as well. Don't be fooled by their their lack of performances on the field. These clubs make big money, so maybe that's what comes down to it. You know, who's got the budget to pay players to have their brand there? That could be a different sort of conversation altogether. But yeah, I think the and then. For Gold Coast Titans, well, Mizzy, you and I know this, and Caruso knows this, and all the world of sports knows this, that every single Australian sporting franchise or governing body or whatever you want to call them, organisation, have an infatuation with trying to put teams on the Gold Coast or in southeast Queensland. I don't know why it doesn't work. No thing has ever been successful. The Titans have made finals once since their introduction into the league. They've been terrible since then. They're having one good season this year, and really they're underachieving with the squad that they have. And are doing the same with the Titans. It, you know, this, you know, it's funded by the NRL still in parts. They're probably like, well, look, we can just give them a team. It's that southeast Queensland apparently is massive for rugby league. So it's a growth area. It's a growth That's area. What it That's, That's what it comes down to. Where the population is growing in exactly. Australia, and that's they want to be a part of it, but they don't care. And they don't care about sentiment, and that's the point. No. Person, I think at this level, but um, that's the way it is. So we're going to get Parramatta and get the Titans. There's going to be a lack of depth. I think it was too early to announce those squads. Um, I don't know where the talent is going to go to the Gold Coast Titans at all. Like Parramatta, I can. There's probably plenty of options for them, but it's going to stretch the the Sydney Roosters team out. Um, uh, definitely, because a lot of those players from out west were travelling into Sydney, so to, to play for the Roosters. So I don't know how this NRLW competition is going to going to look um, this year. Um, let's hope it can actually go ahead, though. I think that's the important thing. The women deserve a platform mm. to play on this year. It's not fair that the actions of some idiots are going to affect their lives of, of millions. So in regards to COVID, so hopefully we can get them on the field. But yeah, the choice of teams again look down to who can afford it. And as you mentioned, Mizzy, growth area of Australia, uh, uh, cities. Very quickly to finish off, the Ron Massey Cup and the Sydney Shield, both pretty much mirror imaging each other. So Mary's running out winners in both competitions ahead of Hills, District, Wente, Leagues and Mounties. Um, you know, no surprise in terms of those performances. The, a couple of uh, very good performances all around in the Sydney Shield from Penrith Brothers and Cronulla Caringbar who managed to finish in the top four. But the big worrying trend was one club that finished bottom of the Harvey Norman women's, bottom of the Ron Massey Cup, bottom of the Sydney Shield. It is the Cabramatta 2 Blues. And Matt Mears, a very quick question to finish off. Is Cabramatta in trouble? Well, there's been rumblings about that for a couple of years now. Obviously, um, they were having financial problems before even uh, the the pandemic hit. And then now um, that's just been compounded. They don't really have too much of a, a feeder system. Like you talk about St. Mary's being top of those competitions. We mentioned it before. They feed into Penrith. So it's where everyone wants to be. I think Cameron have a loose affiliation with um, Newtown. Um, so they can sort of make their way through to Cronulla, but don't quote me on that. 
but it, it's just come down to it's um, obviously financial. If players are coming to play in these competitions, they want the money. If the money's not there and the opportunity's not there, then they're not going to attract the players that are going to put them at the top of the competition. Well, ladies and gentlemen, with that, we have reached full time on what's been a monstrous uh, undertaking to get this podcast recorded on the day. But given the news we had, of course, we had to do this, given, uh, especially given how hot button it was. My thanks to Keith Topolsky earlier on, and my thanks here now to Dom Rizzuto and Matt Mears for joining for this podcast. No worries, Thank Jen. you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, what an episode it has been. That is a wrap of New South Wales Rugby League for 2020-21, and that is Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com. Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountant, the Hornsby Curring Guy Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. On behalf of Keith Topolsky, Matt Mears, and Dom Rizzuto, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. 